Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the HuffPost Politics Podcast. My name's Owen Bennett and joining me this week, Graham Dominic, Ned Simons and back from sunny Mexico, Paul War. We'll be discussing Brexit, taxes and academies. But let's start with the EU referendum. With just 70 days to go until the vote, we now know the shape of the two teams who will be fighting it out to win the support of the British public. The Electoral Commission has ruled that vote leave, the Brexit group supported by Boris Johnson, Michael Gove and Douglas Carswell, will be the official leave group. That means the Nigel Farage-backed grassroots out movement missed out on designation, which could, in theory, lead to a reduced role for the UKIP leader in the campaign. However, after months of bitterness between the two groups, peace could be breaking out, with vote leave's Chris Grayling due to share a stage with Farage at a grassroots out meeting on Monday. But while the politicians seem keen to come together, businessman and UKIP donor Aaron Banks, whose Leave.EU group backed grassroots out, hope you're keeping up, is seeking a judicial review on the Electoral Commission's decision. Here's Farage on LBC responding to the question of whether a designation was a stitch-up. Well, do you know what? People will say all sorts of things. All I'm going to say is, let battle be joined. I don't think it really matters who gets official designation. As I say, you get wholly unaffected by that. And whilst Grassroots Out has a smaller budget to spend, it's got lots of campaigning groups. And, you know, we're in with a sporting chance of winning. There was a Nigel Farage there. Uh, first of all, Graham, this, this, this whole thing, do you think it's been a problem so far? There have been these different Leave groups. And now the fact there is one group is actually going to help the Leave campaign. Uh, possibly. I think it's, it's, it's kind of the early skirmishes, isn't it? And, and people aren't going to be paying much attention to it beyond, um, you know, uh, us in the Westminster bubble. I think people outside, outside of that will be thoroughly confused about what, what, what's going on. But I suppose people will be aware of and interested in what happens with Farage next. And what, 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 do, you, what do you think? He's sounding quite conciliatory there in, in his comments, which is, seems very, un, very unlike Nigel Farage. What does, that, what, what does that mean? Is he going to be having to be brought into the tent to make sure he's not pissing in the wrong direction, so to speak? <laughs> pissing in and pissing out is the, is the, is the analogy I'm going for, yeah. but, which I haven't explained very well. But what, what about Farage? I think that the problem with the Leave campaign, now the official one vote Leave, is exactly with Farage. You don't want him to go off and start doing his own thing too much and then actually attack the Leave campaign. The big problem that Farage has got, one of the main problems he's got with the Vote Leave group, was that he was suspicious that actually they were going for this thing called a second referendum strategy, which is where you vote to leave in this referendum, the EU then come back to you with an improved offer, and then you have another referendum on that, so Britain could end up staying in the EU. Farage has said, no, 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 we want to get out of the EU, and the way to do it is by talking about immigration. That's the biggest concern for people, and that will get us out of the EU. But Owen, why do you think that I mean, most people, most ordinary people, have never heard of the phrase vote leave. They've never heard yeah. of the phrase leave.eu. They've never heard of the phrase grassroots out, to yeah. be absolutely frank. What they have heard 
is Boris Johnson on the telly, they've seen Michael Jove on the telly, and they've seen Nigel Farage on the telly, all saying the same or similar things. Yeah. So why can't they all just be grown up and share one platform, all of them? Do you think that will happen? I think there's, there's a chance of it happening now. I think it would have been more difficult if Nigel Farage's group got a designation, because Farage could have said, right, I've been given the green light here, I'm going to do th things exactly the way I want. And I think constantly going out immigration would have perhaps turned off Boris Johnson, Michael Gove, etc., sharing a stage with him. I think Farage now, you know, he's going to have to accept the decision that his group haven't been given designation, and he's going to have to try and play by their rules a little bit more. And the fact that on Monday, you know, Cabinet Minister Chris Grayling, who is one of the people in the Vote Lee team who was responsible with trying to get a merge with grassroots out, is sharing a stage with him under a grassroots out banner. It's kind of like saying, look, guys, you didn't get it, but we want to work with you. The, but the big unknown in this is Aaron Banks, who is this uh, UKIP donor who owns diamond mines, pictures of him toting guns, yeah. he spends a lot of time in the British Virgin Islands doing all that kind of stuff. He is a, he is a character. Colourful? Colourful yeah, some character. Someone say yeah. Bond villain. <laughs> right, would you say uh, that? Uh, is that why you know him so well? That's why I know him so well, yeah. I don't think he's got an island with his face carved in it. Right. <laughs> he couldn't get the planning permission. Yeah, exactly. Bureau bureaucracy. Another argument for Brexit. Exactly. But anyway, he runs this group called Leave.eu, which supported Grassroots Out, and he has threatened to take the electoral commission to court over the decision. And he claims if he does take it to court, then uh, the referendum date could be pushed back to October. But could it, though? No. No. Right. <laughs> right. It's and Paul will tell us why. Go on, Paul. Well, I, I raised this at the lobby briefing the other day, and I said, you know, w will this actually result in any way? Would a legal challenge delay the date of the referendum? Number 10, very clear line is the date is set in law, and the date is June 23rd. It's not going to change. You'd have to change the legislation. There's no way the courts are going to want to screw up anything as important as the date of a referendum. They're just not going to do it. And also, I mean, they were going to announce at 12 noon today, Leave.eu, whether or not they were going to challenge the decision in court. We're, we're recording this at about 20 past one. There's been no decision. I've called them a few times. They haven't let me know. So I just wonder whether they've had a night to sleep on it. Maybe they spoke to other people. Look, guys, just, yeah. just get behind the Brexit. Let's not... Do you think they're going to, though? Do you think Banks is going to kind of be quiet? Or is he going to carry on? Banks will not be quiet. And even if he doesn't take it to court... Banks will think this is a stitch-up. Now, I looked through the Electoral Commission's decision, all 80 or pages of it, and actually they only missed out grassroots out by about four points on the criteria compared to Leave or EU, uh, compared to Vote Leave. And there wasn't an awful lot of difference between the two organisations. It came down to very fine things. But what was interesting was that uh, Vote Leave had the official support of one party, which is the DUP. Grassroots out had the official support of four parties, UKIP, Respect from George Galloway, the traditional unionist voice, and the Liberal Party. <laughs> However, Vote Leave had the support of 121 MPs, whereas Grassroots Out only had 14 MPs. Was that the clincher, the, the MPs number, or is it hard to tell? It, 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 was, it was that, and it was also the idea that uh, Vote Leave had a better structure in place, and also more, and had shown more ways that they were willing to negotiate with other groups who also right. want to get written out. What I thought was funny was there was another group which wanted the official yeah. leave designation, which was the Socialist and the Trade, Trade Union, Union Coalition, Coalition, which I thought was actually, and their reason for, for wanting it and not allying with the other groups was absolute classic Dave Spart. It was because all the others were too capitalist. 
<laughs> we didn't hear enough from them. Uh, do you know what? They didn't even get through to the. They were, they, so even if the other two groups hadn't entered in, they still wouldn't have got a designation in the Electric Commission ruled. Um, which leads on to this week's quid, which is called You In or Out. EU In or Out. You In. EU, you in. That, yeah. That, that okay. better written down, doesn't it? Yeah, it yeah. doesn't really like, work out. You, you, know, you came up with that literally 30 seconds before I we came on up, air. Coming up with it is a bit of a strong term. I'm going to read you out. This is a bit of a test of how close you guys have been paying attention. A list of some Tory MPs. And you're going to tell me if they're back in Brexit or not. Oh, you said this is terrible. This, this is the this best is, quiz you've ever this done. Is, this could be <laughs> don't, don't, you know, don't get ahead of ourselves. Okay. Yeah, all right, yeah, true. South Leicestershire's Alberto Costa. Is he is he in favour of the EU or is he wants to leave? I think he's, I think I don't know this one. I think he wants to leave. He's a, new, he's, a, he's a 2015 yeah. new intake, isn't he? Um, aren't they all just? Desperately pro whatever the government wants them to do. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Not so how about I think he's going to be back the Remain campaign. Yeah. What's the, what's the choice? In or out? In or out? Yeah. Yeah. He's in. Yeah, you're right. He's in. He's in. He's in. Uh, uh, he caved. Plymouth, Sutton, and what's the other? Oliver Colville. What's Oliver Colville. Graham. Plymouth, Sutton, and Devonport. Is he an inner or an outer? Uh, I think he's um, I think he's an outer. I think outer I'm as well. That, I'm regretting that. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Greg. Part Cole of the world. He's not a new intaker. He's a bit more old yeah. guard. So he's he's, he's he's not gonna cave that easily, is he? So maybe he's gonna be an outer. He's an inner. He was an outer. He changed his mind to an inner after oh, the negotiation. <laughs> so there we are. He's an inner. I was talking about the first. Uh, Faversham's Helen Watley. Ooh. Oh. Waters. Um, oh, oh, Waters. Oh, Waters, Waters. Yeah. I think Waters is... Um... Helen Watley. Um, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't, actually, okay, I'm going to go out no again. Idea. We're going out one soon. Yeah, Waters. out. Is this good podcasting? Just <laughs> people mo- thinking? Okay, uh, we'll do... We'll John, do, the sound guy, Okay, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do two, two very quickly. Uh, Heidi Allen, South Cambridgeshire. In. In. Correct, yeah. in. Uh, Braintree's James Cleverly. In. He's out because he's a Boris man, isn't he? He's out. Come on, Graham. Yeah. Not, I didn't read your. I didn't read your Here's a further one. Gone because he was in the news this week. Alan Duncan. Well, this is. A, I'm glad you. Hang on, the quiz has gone rogue. Yeah. Alan Duncan was originally an outer, and he went along to vote leave to ask for a board position. They said no, and then he suddenly became an inner. I'm sure those two things are not related. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's because they're low achievers, they're low I think. Achievers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll, you know, we'll come, we'll come on to that. So, with, with the Brexiters seeming to come together, the pressure is now on the Remainers to put forward a compelling case for staying in the EU. One man who has a key role to play in this, whether he likes it or not, is Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn. This morning, he made his first major speech on the issue since becoming party leader, putting forward the socialist case for Europe, focusing on workers' rights. However, he has not always been such a keen supporter of the European project. And here he is in 1996 setting out his concerns. We have a European bureaucracy totally unaccountable to anybody. Powers have gone from national parliaments. They haven't gone to the European Parliament. They've gone to the Commission and to some extent to the Council of Ministers. These are quite serious matters. But here he is today spelling out why we should stay in the EU. Over the years, I and many others have been very critical of many decisions taken by the EU. And I remain very critical of its shortcomings. So, Europe needs to change. But that change can only come from working with our allies in the European Union to achieve it. It's perfectly possible to be critical and still be convinced we need to remain a member. Paul, was he convincing? (laughs) 
Well, uh, the, the, the great backdrop for this speech today was it's the University of London's Senate House. And as Corbyn pointed out, Senate House used to be the Ministry of Information during the war, which was also the inspiration for Orwell's Ministry of Truth. And I've got to say, Graham Greene's Ministry of Fear. Now, today, uh, we have to work out whether or not... you yeah, know there was he all of those things whether, in his speech. Whether or not there was any truth or fear within <laughs> both the speech. Now, what was interesting, I thought, was um, that Corbyn went out of his way to make this socialist case for the European Union. So what he's trying to do is reassure common lefties like him and people who shared a view over many years that actually this is a boss's Europe, that this is not in favour of workers' rights, um, that actually, no, finally, when it push comes to shove, there's only one uh, choice on this ballot paper, in or out. You've got to be in if you want to reform it. And he's, the real reason for that was he, he said if you vote out, he raised this spectre today, if we vote out, if we have Brexit, you'll end up with Boris Johnson leading the Tory party and very quickly scrapping lots of workers' rights, scrapping lots of environmental protections, etc., with Nigel Farage in the background goading him on. And I think that's why Corbyn got it right today. He sort of saw what was the big fear for a lot of the left in this whole equation. But he was equally clear that actually he hasn't given up a lot of his own criticism of Europe. Um, and he's got this other bigger ambition for things like something he trailed today, a minimum wage, a common minimum wage across the whole of the EU. Again, it's sort of Corbyn-style idea. It might take off, it might not, but it, obviously it needs 28 other nations to agree to it. That's the downside. But it, that's the way he's thinking. And he also made clear that actually when it comes to migration, again, he went out on a limb in a true Corbyn fashion by saying that actually he didn't think there were too many EU migrants in Britain. Now, that's something that's quite a radical thing to say. His supporters will love him for saying it. Some Labour MPs might not love him for saying it because that is the Farage case, that the, the migration is actually a main driver in making people vote. No. Is it a more convincing pitch than, than Cameron's almost? Is Cameron has kind of uh, carved himself out as a Eurosceptic from, from year dot, and all of a sudden... Um, come the referendum and, and his deal, all of a sudden he's he's embracing everything to do with Europe, and and that has holes in it. Whereas at least Cameron, uh, sorry, Corbyn has been consistent. In his and view I think and that I think appeal, that's, that would appeal to people. Right? That is the advantage, which is that you know Corbyn, people who are going to vote in, most people who are going to vote in are determined inners. Most outers are determined outers, but it's these people in the middle, it's the undecideds, and there are a lot of Labour undecideds. And believe it or not, the Labour voters aren't all on mass thinking the same way about this, particularly old. Older voters like Corbyn, as we've said before, you know, when people ask, well, what is the alternative to being in the European Union? They've seen it before. They've lived it. They, were, they experienced life before 1975 and they thought Britain was doing all right. So Corbyn was trying to pitch to, in a way, not just to young people, but to older people today, people like him, who, as Graham says, you know, are more likely to listen to someone who actually shares their concerns, unlike Cameron, who actually they think might have been a bit of a plastic Eurosceptic and then suddenly decided, actually, it's in my job interest to stay in this European Union thing. But Corbyn, you could say it's more convincing what he's doing because he's actually saying, I acknowledge all your concerns about Europe, but when push comes to shove, I've, I've made a balanced, nuanced decision. It's not an easy decision, but I've made it. I quite liked some big Alan Johnson standing close to him during the speech to make sure he didn't accidentally say anything too sort of Brexity. Also noticed that just as Cameron's dropped talking about his deal, Corbyn's dropped the criticism of the deal. I think when the deal was first signed, Corbyn kept in these, if he's asked about Europe on, on the news, he'd begin by criticising David Cameron's deal. And that can't, wasn't that great from a kind of pro-Remain approach, but he's ditched talking about that as well. He was just very anti-Cameron today, though. Yeah. I mean, it's significant. Just during this speech, 
what happened, but David Cameron tweets a picture of himself at, at a phone bank for the in campaign, sitting next to Paddy Ashdown and Neil Kinnock. Now, oh my goodness. That, wow. that, that's a former Labour leader uh, saying, well, actually, I'm going to put away party differences. We're all on the same side. Corbyn, very different today. He's never going to share a platform with Cameron. He's, he's made that absolutely clear. Uh, he thinks that you can still attack Cameron throughout this campaign and still be on the same side as Cameron. Now, that, you might think that's a bit mad, but he sees that from his Labour voters' viewpoint, that actually makes sense. Quick question. If Jeremy Corbyn wasn't leader of the Labour Party... Would he be voting to remain or would he be voting to leave? I suspect he, he'd be voting to leave. I, I personally yeah, think that. I, I think really right. do. I think the key moment soon after he became leader uh, was that Hillary Benn sat him down in a room and said, look, Labour Party official position is we're backing the in campaign, no matter what your view is. Yeah. And as I understand it, Ben made that a condition of being Shadow Foreign Secretary. It's interesting because when, um, when that was announced, Hillary Benn sort of announced a Labour position, I was down at the Trade Union Congress, and Kelvin Hopkins, uh, a backbench Labour MP, I, I said to him, oh, Hillary Benn has said that Corbyn's going to back in. And Kelvin Hopkins said to me, oh, Hillary Benn must have got it wrong. There's no way Corbyn would have said that. Exactly. And, and Kelvin Hopkins did not. I was saying that this, this, she said this, this morning, and Kelvin Hopkins would not believe yeah. that Jeremy Corbyn would have made that, that trade. So it just shows how far he's And you come. notice whenever Corbyn speaks about Europe, he always says we. I mean, that's a, a kind of tick he has, a verbal tick of when he talks. But I'd be very, if I can't think of a time I've heard him say I, he always talked about we, the Labour Party position, which I think right. plays into that idea that it's he's taken on board. And Corbyn, Corbyn talks about going on a journey, which I think Tony Blair also said he went on a journey. So that's the only thing they probably... <laughs> You're saying Corbyn to Blair said. right now? I'm just, I'm just saying they both Hot went on a take. journey. So. Trolling. <laughs> anyway, the Commons returned from its spring recess this week and one of the first orders of business involved David Cameron making a statement on the Panama Papers. The Prime Minister addressed the Commons on Monday when he again claimed neither he nor his father had done uh, anything wrong in relation to Blairmore Holdings Company created by his father, which was based offshore. Corbyn followed the lead of the Prime Minister and the Chancellor by publishing his tax return early this week, which revealed it actually overpaid the taxman. But it wasn't Corbyn or Cameron who stole the show in the chamber. First, Labour MP Dennis Skinner was thrown out for calling Cameron dodgy Dave. Let's have a listen. This man has done more to divide this nation than anybody else. He's looked after his own pocket. I still refer to him as dodgy Tory backbencher Sir Alan Duncan then drew gasps from the Labour benches with this intervention. Prime Minister's critics really just snap out of their synthetic indignation and admit that their real point is that they hate anyone who's even got a hint of wealth in their life. So may I support the Prime Minister in fending off those who are attacking him, particularly in thinking of this place, because if he doesn't, we risk seeing a House of Commons which is stuffed full of low achievers who hate enterprise, hate people who look after their own family and who know absolutely nothing about the outside world. So, low achievers. Ned, um, (laughs) did we get anything other than a little bit of theatre on Monday when Cameron made the speech? Because obviously we had Dennis Skinner there. and Yeah, I think a lot of the heat's gone out of it now. I think over the weekend particularly, this was uh, was the big story, but it seems now to have calmed down quite a bit, particularly the idea that all MPs have to publish their tax returns just as the Prime Minister has and Corbyn has. I don't think that's going to happen anymore. You had, you know, Corbyn said they should do it. You had Jacob Rees-Mogg. Troy Bentch is saying it seems almost inevitable because voters don't trust MPs after the expenses scandal. But I think literally since 
Tuesday, Wednesday. I don't see that happening anymore. I think you saw PMQs, but Cameron had a pretty easy ride. You know, after all this trouble he's had, Corbyn was quite good, actually, I thought. It was one of his kind of more solid performances, but it didn't really have Cameron on the ropes. So I think they've sort of, it's died down a bit, to be honest. Well, and I think the, it's died down because Cameron eventually kind of got, yeah. got it all out there, didn't he? On that the kind of drop on late on the Saturday night of, of of all his kind of tax information, it's kind of what they should have done in in the first instance when the first whiff of problems emerged from from the Panama Papers is to kind of be completely transparent about it. And the the problems for Cameron were generated by the fact that there were five as as, as we well we didn't discuss it last week we didn't have a podcast but we the the five statements giving a slightly different positions on where Cameron was on this that that's kind of caused the real the real problem for him and and he and this kind of dump of information seems to have kind of pushed it out of the way now. I think one of the reasons that the the heat's been taken out of it though is because Cameron is such a good parliamentary performer it's it's worth remembering but both during this very long statement on Monday about his father and again in PMQs he was a real pro he did everything he needed to do he ticked all the boxes so he he held his hand up said look this is all my fault you know I got this wrong to start off with that's always a, a good move so he, he he did a little mea culpa but then he went on the offensive and saying look you know this is all a bit ridiculous how dare you attack my father and he, he actually really crucially exploited the fact that even the media have now gone away from the whole idea that Blairmore Holdings and his father was in any way really a tax avoiding vehicle mm. no one really says that or even writes that anymore that was the original allegation I mean I was on a literally on a Mexican beach when this happened which was not a tax haven money was just resting right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't the Cayman Islands <laughs> stuffing a piñata for the next year but um, what was important was the way Cameron dealt with it and, he, he, and I think now number 10 having got their line straight and stuck to it have been pretty hard to shift off that and Corbyn yeah you're right did a really a decent job at PMQs he, he, he varied the questions he didn't do a question from a punter he asked the right sort of pointed uh, uh, had a good joke as well and a decent joke he had a good little line didn't he the, the only thing this government's clamped down on is tax collectors some of the HMRC which I thought oh, that's, you know, that's quite good and Angus Robertson's question actually about that was kind of was probably the best bit I thought it was that a nonsense session. though the well, stats that Angus Robertson pulled out was absolute nonsense, though. He said there's it wasn't absolute nonsense, to be fair. So he, he was in the right ballpark, as yeah, Graham will point well, out. He's, yeah, it's, I, think it, I think it's open to interpretation. So I what, think what, was it, the, what, what, was his, what was his claim? Uh, he claimed that there were ten times more um, people clamping down on benefits cheats than there are um, tax avoiders. And it was based on two statistics that, um, that, that you could point to those statistics, but quite whether those statistics were relating to exactly the point he was making is 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 up for dispute. But um yeah it was it was it was a canny it was a canny line. But as a question it, it worked well. But tax tax is an issue voters are interested in and they don't like the whole idea of tax avoidance. But what, as I say, and it's worth repeating, Cameron has kind of done a Houdini-like escape from all this this week because he's good in the chamber, he's got his party on his side, and because he thinks that actually Labour haven't got a coherent answer to this whole idea of aspiration and wealth. And do you think actually also what it did do with with the the, the, EU, the pro EU leaflet the government sent out, which so divided the Tory party, this actually seemed to have a it gave the Tory party something to sort of unite around again, which was defending Dave and defending you know questions yeah. of his father. It actually had a bit of a galvanising effect, didn't it? It seemed to me. I think that that personal element you could tell how pained he was that the idea of his late father, you know, had just done his best by his family by trying to give his his son. Um, a certain bit of uh, shares in this this odd vehicle that we hadn't heard of before, and it turns out that him and his wife had made a bit of money out of it, and you know had tried to pass on. And his mother 
had tried to, you know, obviously not necessarily get around inheritance tax, but she tried to even up the family inheritance. And it was all on a human level. It kind of worked for a lot of people. And also the fact, I mean, the fact there was a lot of money he got, but everyone knows he's rich. So you still sort of look at that number that he received in inheritance and think, that's a lot of money. But that's not a surprise to people. Everyone knows he's rich no, already. No, it's all so priced it's in with Cameron. So. I'll never forget, in 2005, during the Tory leadership contest, when Cameron was out there against David Davis, being in a cab in Blackpool and asking a cabbie who was not a Tory, what do you think about this claim that, this, that David Cameron, this bloke, is a bit of a toff? And he said, I don't give a damn. He seems all right to me. And he seemed all right enough to a lot of people last May as well, so don't forget that. Absolutely. Uh, amid the talk of uh, taxes and Europe and, of course, the UK steel industry, a mini toy rebellion has almost gone unnoticed on the forced academisation of all schools. In the Commons yesterday, Education Secretary Nicky Morgan faced a bar- barrage of criticism from fellow Conservatives over plans to make all state schools become academies by 2020. In a debate called by the Labour Party, one Tory after another stood up to raise concerns over compulsory academisation. Here is former Conservative Children's Minister Tim Loughton. Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker. I'm grateful to the Secretary and I'm a supporter of the Academies uh, programme and the experience of my constituency has been largely, although not exclusively, positive. And I'm disappointed to see the opposition go cold on one of their proudest uh, innovations. But as a Conservative... As a Conservative, I also believe in choice, so could she outline to me the downside of allowing academies to migrate organically, or schools to migrate organically if they choose to, to academy status, rather than imposing a compulsory and arbitrary timeline on them? Graham, you were keeping an eye on this. Uh, Is this an example of Cameron taking his eye off the ball of what actually is going on in his party because he's so focused on Europe? Yeah, I, I think so. I think there's a there's a phrase isn't there in American politics of the, the lame duck president. If you've been in for for two terms, um, you, you you can't stand for a third, and by the end of your second term, you're you're starting to have have, have, have less influence. I think there's a, there's a bit of that with Cameron now. They're pushing through certain certain policies, and because they've got such a small majority, um, the Tory MPs that don't like it are, are saying so, and they're rebelling. And and, and 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 speaking out, and that's definitely the case with with academies. So so this switch from all schools being moved to academies, which I suppose in short is stripping schools of local authority control. The, the government, and this was announced by Osborne on the budget, they want to to do that by uh, 2022. All, all, all schools will have moved to that position or be have a plan to be to be moving there. And it's this idea of, of, of that specific deadline, a specific place. It's, this idea kept this the, the words that kept coming up among Tory M- MPs was, was forced and imposition and compulsory. And Tories don't like that because that goes against their kind of ethos of, of, of kind of free thinking and freedom and, and and also goes against the idea of, of, of this awful phrase of kind of top down control, central government. Uh, control of these things, so so they've kind of mis I think they've misjudged the Tory the, the the mood of backbenchers on this, and then there's no kind of almost no kind of goodwill in the bank among them, despite what we were saying earlier about Cameron and and everyone running around uh, around his father. That that seems to be an exception of yeah. of, of, of late. Uh, Cameron doesn't seem to have as much authority as as, as he want, once did now, and and you had Tim Loughton, you had Will Quinch, you had Steve Bryan, these these kind of names that don't kind of come up as 
perennial Tory rebels, the kind of headbangers, who were kind of speaking out against this academy. I think that was what was most worrying for, for number 10, was the, the variety of those critics on this academy's thing yesterday. So you had a mixture of the new intakers, who, let's be honest, seemed pretty fearless. Um, not just those who were backing the, the, the Brexit campaign, but on a variety of issues, you know, they, they it seemed almost unwhippable. Um, and that's why, I mean, one senior Tory talked to me before that debate and said, look, we, and this is a, a right winger, a, a very old fashioned right winger, said, we really don't like compulsory freedom, you know, in the Tory party. <laughs> um, and I don't think number 10 gets that. And it, he was making a joke, but making a point. Yeah. And um, I think this is what's interesting about all of this, which was this is during the budget. This is another budget cock up, it seems. Yeah. Now, at the time, we were all focused on, you know, disability cuts and, you know, IDS quitting within two days. But actually, this is a big, big issue from the budget that's been left over. And slowly, Tory MPs, Labour MPs were onto it quite quickly, but Tory MPs have woken up to it now and said, actually, they've got complaints from their local parent governors who are worried that they're going to be undermined because under these plans there won't necessarily be any parent governors. Um, equally, they're worried by what the message is back from their primary schools that actually, can we cope with this new system? Maybe we actually quite like being with with their local authority for a certain period. Why don't you give us a bit of choice over what we're doing? So what, what's interesting overnight is that Nicky Morgan has listened to all this and number 10 has certainly listened to all this. And we got a hint of it at Cabinet on Tuesday when they said that Nicky Morgan was going to correct some of the misconceptions. And that is always that's a, a long bit, way of saying U-turn, isn't it? That's a bit of code for concession. It wasn't just a budget measure. It was kind of the leading story in the morning budget they were very proud of. It was the one they went into that day promoting as the big thing. So if they have to change it, it's not a kind of a minor thing. Yeah. They were very, very pushing it and, forward. And we'll find out before the Queen's speech just what these concessions look like. Graham, start of the week. Start of the week. Jingle? Don't. No, we're not doing that anymore. We're not even doing that joke. We're anymore. not even doing that. Hasn't, hasn't taken. There will yet. be one. People surely. Be, it's the only joke I've got. Well, it's only I, thought we, I thought it was our computer says no. no start of the week. Okay. Start of the week. Um, start of the week. Currently, there are two thousand and seventy-five out of 3,381 3, secondary schools. It's the way you've written it. Current, currently, 2,075 out of 3,381 secondary schools are academies, while 2,440 of 16,766 primary schools have academy status. Well, that's a stat. What, what's the percentage, though, Owen? <laughs> that's all the time we've got this week. Thanks very much for listening, everyone, and uh, join us next week for more Commons People. Even on a budget... Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.